With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 12 of The Pirate's Own Book This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Pirate's Own Book by Charles Elms Chapter 12 The Life of Captain Davis With an account of his surprising the fort at Gambia Davis was born in Monmouthshire, and from a boy trained to the sea. His last voyage from England was in the sloop Cadogan from Bristol, in the character of chief mate. This vessel was captured by the pirate England upon the Guinea coast, whose companions plundered the crew and murdered the captain, as is related in England's life. Upon the death of Captain Skinner, Davis pretended that he was urged by England to become a pirate, but that he resolutely refused. He added that England, pleased with his conduct, had made him captain in room of Skinner, giving him a sealed paper which he was not to open until he was in a certain latitude, and then expressly to follow the given directions. When he arrived at the appointed place, he collected the whole crew, and solemnly read his sealed instructions, which contained a generous grant of the ship and all her stores to Davis and his crew, requesting them to go to Brazil and dispose of the cargo to the best advantage, and make an equal division of the money. Davis then commanded the crew to signify whether they were inclined to follow that mode of life, when, to his astonishment and chagrin, the majority positively refused. Then, in a transport of rage, he desired them to go where they would. Knowing that part of the cargo was consigned to merchants in Barbados, they directed their course to that place. When arrived there, they informed the merchants of the unfortunate death of Skinner, and of the proposal which had been made to them. Davis was accordingly seized and committed to prison, but he having never been in the pirate's service, nothing could be proved to condemn him, and he was discharged without a trial. Convinced that he could never hope for employment in that quarter after this detection, he went to the island of Providence, which he knew to be a rendezvous for pirates. Upon his arrival there, he was grievously disappointed, because the pirates who frequented that place had just accepted of His Majesty's pardon and had surrendered. Captain Rogers, having equipped two sloops for trade, Davis obtained employment in one of these, called the Buck. They were laden with European goods to a considerable value, which they were to sell or exchange with the French and Spanish. 
They first touched at the island of Martinique, belonging to the French, and Davis, knowing that many of the men were formerly in the pirate's service, enticed them to seize the master, and to run off with the sloop. When they had effected their purpose, they hailed the other ship, in which they knew that there were many hands ripe for rebellion, and, coming to, the greater part joined Davis. Those who did not choose to adhere to them were allowed to remain in the other sloop and continue their course, after Davis had pillaged her of what things he pleased. In full possession of the vessel, and stores and goods, a large bowl of punch was made. Under its exhilarating influence it was proposed to choose a commander, and to form their future mode of policy. The election was soon over, and a large majority of legal votes were in favour of Davis, and, no scrutiny demanded, Davis was declared duly elected. He then drew up a code of laws to which he himself swore, and required the same bond of alliance from the rest of the crew. He then addressed them in a short and appropriate speech, the substance of which was a proclamation of war with the whole world. They now consulted what part would be most convenient to clean the vessel, and it was resolved to repair to Coxon's Hole at the east end of the island of Cuba, where they could remain in perfect security, as the entrance was so narrow that one ship could keep out a hundred. They, however, had no small difficulty in cleaning their vessel, as there was no carpenter among them. They performed that laborious task in the best manner they could, and then made to the north side of Hispaniola. The first sail they met with was a French ship of twelve guns, which they captured, and while they were plundering her, another appeared in view. Inquiring of the Frenchmen, they learned that she was a ship of twenty-four guns and sixty men. Davis proposed to his crew to attack her, assuring them that she would prove a rich prize. This appeared to the crew such a hazardous enterprise that they were rather adverse to the measure, but he acquainted them that he had conceived a stratagem that he was confident would succeed. They might, therefore, safely leave the matter to his management. He then commenced chase, and ordered his prize to do the same. Being a better sailor, he soon came up with the enemy and showed his black colours. With no small surprise at his insolence in coming so near them, they commanded him to strike. He replied that he was disposed to give them employment until his companion came up, who was able to contend with them. Meanwhile, assuring them that, if they did not strike to him, it would most certainly fare the worse for them, then giving them a broadside, he received the same in return. When the other pirate ship drew near, they, according to the directions of Davis, appeared upon decks in white shirts, which making an appearance of numbers, the Frenchmen were intimidated, and struck. Davis ordered the captain with twenty of his men to come on board, and they were all put in irons except the captain. He then dispatched four of his men to the other ship, and calling aloud to them, desired that his compliment should be given to the captain, with a request to send a sufficient number of hands to go on board their new prize, to see what they had got in her. At the same time he gave them a written paper with their proper instructions, even to nail up the small guns, to take out all the, the arms and powder, and to go every man on board the new prize. When his men were on board her, he ordered the greater part of the prisoners to be removed into the empty vessels, and by this means secured himself from any attempt to recover their ship. During three days these three vessels sailed in company, 
but finding that his late prize was a heavy sailor, he emptied her of everything that he stood in need of, and then restored her to the captain with all his men. The French captain was so much enraged at being thus miserably deceived, that upon the discovery of this stratagem he would have thrown himself overboard, had not his men prevented him. Captain Davis then formed the resolution of parting with the other prize-ship also, and soon afterwards steered northward and took a Spanish sloop. He next directed his course towards the Western Islands, and from Cape de Verde Islands cast anchor at St. Nicholas and hoisted English colours. The Portuguese supposed that he was a privateer, and Davis going on shore was hospitably received, and they traded with him for such articles as they found most advantageous. He remained here five weeks, and he and half of his crew visited the principal town of the island. Davis, from his appearing in the dress of a gentleman, was greatly caressed by the Portuguese, and nothing was spared to entertain and render him and his men happy. Having amused themselves during a week, they returned to the ship, and allowed the other half of the crew to visit the capital and enjoy themselves in like manner. Upon their return, they cleaned their ship and put to sea but four of the men were so captivated with the ladies and the luxuries of the place that they remained in the island, and one of them married and settled there. Davis now sailed for Bonavista, and perceived nothing in that harbour, steered for the Isle of May. Arriving there, he found several vessels in the harbour, and plundered them of whatever he found necessary. He also received a considerable reinforcement of men, the greater part of whom entered willingly into the piratical service. He likewise made free with one of the ships, equipped her for his own purpose, and called her the King James. Davis next proceeded to St. Jago, to take in water. Davis, with some of the others, going on shore to seek water, the governor came to inquire who they were, and expressed his suspicion of their being pirates. Upon this, Davis seemed highly affronted, and expressed his displeasure in the most polite but determined manner. He, however, hastened on board, informed his men, and suggested the possibility of surprising the fort during the night. Accordingly, all his men being well armed, they advanced to the assault, and from the carelessness of the guards they were in the garrison before the inhabitants were alarmed. Upon the discovery of their danger, they took shelter in the governor's house, and fortified it against the pirates. But the latter, throwing in some grando shells, ruined the furniture, and killed several people. The alarm was circulated in the morning, and the country assembled to attack them, but unwilling to stand a siege, the pirates dismounted the gun, pillaged the fort, and fled to their ships. When at sea, they mustered their hands, and found that they were seventy strong. Then they consulted among themselves what course they should steer, and were divided in opinion, but by a majority it was carried to sail for Gambia, on the coast of Guinea. Of this opinion was the captain, who, having been employed in that trade, was acquainted with the coast, and informed his companions that there was always a large quantity of money deposited in that castle, and he was confident, if the matter was entrusted to him, that he should successfully storm that fort. From their experience of his former prudence and courage, they cheerfully submitted to his direction, in the full assurance of success. Arrived at Gambia, he ordered all his men below, except just so many as were necessary to work the vessel, that those from the fort, seeing so few hands, might have no suspicion that she was any other than a trading vessel. 
he then ran under the fort and cast anchor, and, having ordered out the boat, manned with six men indifferently dressed, he, with the master and doctor, dressed themselves like gentlemen, in order that the one party might look like foremastmen, and the other like merchants. In rowing ashore he instructed his men what to say if any questions were put to them by the garrison. On reaching land the party were conducted by a file of musketeers into the fort, and kindly received by the governor, who inquired what they were and whence they came. They replied that they were from Liverpool, and bound for the river Senegal, to trade for gum and elephant's teeth, but that they were chased on that coast by two French men of war, and narrowly escaped being taken. We were now disposed, continued Davis, to make the best of our voyage, and would willingly trade here for slaves. The governor then inquired what were the principal articles of their cargo. They replied that they were iron and plate, which were necessary articles in that place. The governor then said that he would give them slaves for all their cargo, and asked if they had any European liquor on board. They answered that they had a little for their own use, but that he should have a hamper of it. He then treated them with the greatest civility, and desired them all to dine with him. Davis answered that as he was commander of the vessel, it would be necessary for him to go down to see if she were properly moored, and to give some other directions, but that these gentlemen might stay, and he would return before dinner, and bring the hamper with him. While in the fort, 